Welcome into episode 267 of the Sources Say Podcast, your go-to Kentucky basketball and recruiting podcast on the growing KSR Podcast Network. Sources Say is brought to you, as always, by our good friends at Justice Dental. Visit one of their two Lexington locations uh, on Blazer Parkway and Wellington Way by scheduling an appointment online at justicedental.com or by calling 859-543-0700. You can even send a text message to one of their friendly team members at the same number to ask a question or make an appointment. Now is a great time to schedule your dental cleaning dr thompson dr justice and their team strive to provide you with good oral health in a comfortable environment the justice dental team looks forward to seeing you soon i am your host jack pilgrim of kentucky sports radio very happy to be joined live from toronto look at this sean we we are we are here we are in action live from toronto for the global jam uh, after seeing you uh road trip down to north augusta for the peach jam now all the way up across the border in Toronto. It's been one hell of a two-week stretch, Sean. But we got basketball games to play, man. Yeah, it's uh, definitely a lot of fun. I, I was thinking about that today on my, on my way back home, that this is the earliest we've ever got a look at a Kentucky basketball team. And, and that's really cool. Early July here, we're going to break down some games, going to talk about some some players, uh, going to recap some stuff from Peach Jam. And you're in Toronto, and I'm in Kentucky. And I, I wish I was there with you, but – I know you're going to have a good week. I think BBN's going to have a good week, and it's going to be a lot of fun to watch these guys and talk about them this week too. So let's start, uh, obviously, with Peach Jam first. I know everybody who's waiting at the edge of their seat to just get to the bottom of what happened or what's going to happen this week in Toronto, but but you were down there at Peach Jam with me. A ton of talent. We were hanging around the coaching staff and uh, seeing some generational talent for – this upcoming season, but also 25, 26, and beyond. Uh, Sean, some of your takeaways from your first Peach Jam in how many years? It's my first Peach Jam ever, actually. I've, I've covered oh, every right, stop. right, right. Yeah, I've covered every stop of the EYBL besides Peach Jam. I always had something else going on during that time, but it, it was good to get down there and, and experience the energy in that building. And there were some star-studded matchups, too. I mean, there was some heavyweight battles with the Boozer Twins and Cooper Flag and A.J. DeBonsa and all the guys that Kentucky's going back and forth watching and the new guys that are emerging onto the scene and, and just young future superstars is what I took away from this Peach Jam. Is there, and you mentioned it, you said the word generational. There's a couple of guys in there that are the best that we've seen at the high school level, two of the best in like the last 20 years. I know Jeff Goodman even said that. I put it out on a tweet. So you, you know guys that have covered that event for years even they noticed the difference in talent level. You had LeBron there. You had some uh, Chris Paul, some other NBA guys. It was just a huge week in uh, North Augusta. We had a lot of fun down there and uh, got a lot of cool takeaways from it. And we hosted Castle. I, I, we, we did do that. I knew you couldn't get through a, an, an individual monologue without bringing up your boy LeBron James being in the same room as the living legend himself. Uh, what was that like? I know he wasn't on the court, but – he was there to watch this generational talent that clearly meant something to him that, you know, he is the current generation, past generation, uh, and now he's there to watch the, the upcoming generational talents and A.J. Devonsa, Cooper Flagg, the Boozer Twins. Uh, what was it like kind of seeing him courtside at one of your personal idols? Yeah, I don't, I don't share much about who I follow professionally other than the Reds and, and things, but I'm a big LeBron guy. Wherever LeBron goes, that's who I pull for. And I'm probably going to get – slammed in the comments for that by some people but LeBron's my goat because that's the guy that I grew up watching play the game when I was in elementary and middle school and into high school so that was really cool it was actually the first time that I ever got to see him 
And I woke up early Saturday morning. I tried to get into the courts that he was coaching on the other day. I couldn't get in because they just so many people when he was on court one, court two. But when he made court three, you uh, you actually said it to me. I think it was Friday morning. You said, I forgot how big of a LeBron guy you are as I left the hotel. And I was there like an hour before you and Jacob got down there just to watch LeBron in action and coach. So uh, it was really cool to see that and then see him sit courtside. And the cool thing was that that Vegas Elite game after it is when guys would make big plays, they would walk back down the floor and point at LeBron. And LeBron would, you know, kind of applaud them and stuff. So it, those guys had fun with it too. And uh, it, it just adds to the energy and atmosphere there. Uh, Rondo's with him. Carmel Anthony was in the building. It, those guys that have been at the level that these players hope to get to someday, it's really cool to kind of see it all come together. And that's the only event that you ever get to see that at. And Sean, I, I think it told a bigger story about uh, just where things are right now in the, the sport of basketball. And I guess the lack of enthusiasm for this 2024 class, how, I mean, nobody was talking about anything Trey Johnson was doing. Nobody was talking about Boogie Flan. Nobody was talking, you know, Billy Richmond was amazing during the regular season, had a very solid peach jam, but that wasn't even the the conversation. The, the entire conversation was, what was AJ Debonte doing? What was Cooper Flagg doing? What was you know the, what were the Boozer twins doing in that 16U championship battle? And uh, you know reclass talk. Who's going to be the next guy that, who, that that's going to strengthen the 24? If anything, the conversation about 2024 was just how bad it was that they're going to have to steal some of the star talent from 2025 to make it a worthwhile class. Uh, having some conversations that know uh, with people around the program that know what the the plan is or lack thereof for 2024, uh, I, I genuinely am, am starting to lean toward a heavy reclass class for 2024 that uh, I think that they're going to probably go all in on Billy Richmond, try to land him. Probably Carter Knox from there because of the legacy side of things. He's been a standout. Uh, Kentucky likes him a lot. But from there, Sean, there's really not a clear guy. Like even Boogie Flan, he's really kind of tailed off lately. And he's been okay, but is he going to be the star running the show point guard for you next season? It, it, I, I'm starting to have my doubts about Kentucky making the 2024 class a serious one from the current crop of talent now guys in 2025 that are thinking about making the jump uh, I think that's a whole different story and, and we got to see a lot of that firsthand just how good those 2025 kids are yeah you it, it you can tell the difference in talent level that, that doesn't mean that the 24 doesn't have some guys in it that that project to, to be good college basketball players and you know future professionals but it's just the talent difference when you move to 25 and then you move into 26 and, and look at some guys there too and the crowds that, that Cooper flag drew and, and the crowds that AJ, AJ DeBonsa drew, like it, it's just a different level. Like there, there was so much energy every time that Cooper flag took the floor that you thought it was like the final four of the NCAA tournament, like just the buzz in the building. Every time he'd catch the ball and make a player, he'd make a block. Like DeBonsa was the same way. Tyron Stokes doing things like, you know, those are two guys that can, that you, uh, you talked a lot about this weekend and stuff about Kentucky and, it was good to just get there and see the the level of talent. I mean, 16-year-old kids that have the weight of the world on their shoulders that are being billed as the next-level superstars, that's a ton of pressure. But those guys put on a lot of impressive performances. They, they do it back-to-back-to-back -to -back -to -back days at a, a high level. And a really cool event and really cool to see. I mean, look, every time Cooper Flagg was in action, 
AJ DeBonsa, college coaches galore lined up along the sidelines for those guys. And Sean, look at even a guy like Jaleel Bethea, who was the talk of the EYBL regular season, somebody that uh, told me at Pangos that when John Calipari walks in or into a room, it's like God, seeing God. It's like that that was a guy that everybody said, well, he's trending at the right time. Cal's just waiting to see him in person. You know, the stars are going to align where they're going to meet in the middle and come and, and come together with an offer and things could potentially trend rather quickly from there. Uh, and then John Calipari shows up for Jaleel Bethea in team final, who was considered a heavy favorite to at least compete, maybe win the whole thing, but very, very you know, clearly a, a contender to to at least be in the title game. They go in and they struggle. And Jaleel Bethea, who wears his emotions on his sleeve for better and worse at times, like um, almost has like a breakdown as he's in front of John Calipari. Cal's trying to actively trying to decide whether or not this is a Kentucky offer or not. And every single possession, almost exhaustingly, just throwing a temper tantrum, throwing his hands up, complaining about not getting the ball, possession after possession after possession. And Cal walked out after less than a, a quarter. And uh, even that was, so that was like, so the one guy that could have been the, like, trending at the right time, Cal extending that offer, even Cal said, you know what, I, I don't think this the fits there. And I, I talked to people around the program after that, and I, I'm not thinking that a uh, – an offer is in the works anytime soon. Maybe things change in the coming months or whatever uh, as his high school season comes around. But to close out the grassroots uh, circuit, there there isn't an imminent plan to offer Jaleel Bethea, uh, the guy who had been seen as the, the next in line to get an offer. So uh, if he's not getting one and they're really not going all in another 2024 guys besides Billy Richmond and maybe Carter Knox, like I, I, I'm really starting to think that this could be a, a, a kind of a mixed bag of 2025 guys we just saw Jaden Quaintance uh just announce his reclass up to 2024 maybe that's a, a premier option for Kentucky but it it feels like Kentucky's going to get creative with this 2024 class because they kind of have to I, I just don't see how you can build a contender with just these kids yeah you and I were sitting there watching Bethea together and, and obviously they're this this was my first look live at a lot of these guys I didn't get to make it out to, to cover any of the first EYBL stops this this spring but you were telling me, hey, I want you to take a look at this guy. I want you to take a look at this guy. And me and you would just look at each other like every possession and go, man, like you can't have that type of emotion and, and that type of body language in this moment. Like you're, you know, emotions are part of the game, but you got to be able to channel those. And I thought that that day he heard his opportunity. And sure enough, when Cal walked out, you looked at me and you said, that's not good. And then sure enough, like that was a kid that we had our eye on. And you put it out right before the game that, He's on offer watch, and he was up until that point. And Cal went to another floor, and so did Kentucky's assistants. They they weren't there for the remainder of that game. So I'm all the time in coaching. We we tell our kids that body language is probably the most important thing, especially when things are not going in your favor. Like you do not know who's sitting in the building watching you, but in that case, you know who's in the building. Like you've got to be able to hold it together. And uh, unfortunately, he he wasn't able to in that moment, and that's uh. That's a challenge a lot of these kids face. I mean, like I said, it's the weight of the world on these guys. I mean, you've got big-time programs coming in there. You, you feel like maybe it's your one shot to have that opportunity to, to impress. But uh, even if you're not playing well, there, there's other ways to impress. And uh, I feel like some guys do that, some guys don't. And that's, that's a struggle and a balance that you got to find on grassroots. And there's a lot of talent there at those events. And there's a lot of guys fighting for a lot of spots. But with Kentucky and 24, Jack, I think it really ties into talk about this roster too, 
about some guys that could possibly be long-term pieces to your program. And I think that maybe John Calipari had that in mind when he was closing out this roster with guys like Jordan Burks and, you know, Joey Hart, and you got to do Thierry. Some, some guys that we kind of project and see down the road as possibly being in a Kentucky jersey this time next summer and moving into to a new, a new calendar year uh, within the university and the program. So I think that's something to talk about. Obviously, reclass options from 25 to 24. We, we know there's some guys that – uh, we think Kentucky could, could keep an eye on. They've, they've also also recently uh, extended a couple of new offers and things to 24. So you're finding it. I, you put it out in, in some notes and stuff this weekend, and I know that me and you talked about it, that there, there certainly will be a plan. It's just it's going to be a collection of things happening for Kentucky to put a 24 class together. But it also could be a year where maybe they are more active in the portal than they have been the last two years, and they probably will have to be, depending on how many guys – leave from this roster or return from this current roster that we're about to watch here tomorrow. Yeah. So, so Jaden Quaintance was the, the 24 guy that the, the new offered at least in the last month or two that um, he's kind of trending the right direction. He's a 24 now announcing his reclass. Kentucky loves him. Uh, he's very open to the pro route. Kentucky is understanding of the pro route uh, being, being a serious option for him. So uh, that's one Kentucky's kind of, zeroing in on and, and seeing where things stand there, that would be an immediate game changer in, in, in my eyes. I think if you're going to lose on Floyd Badunga the way they lost on him to replace that premier option with a guy like Jaden Quaintance would be an absolute home run. And, and uh, if, if, that, if Kentucky's able to make that happen, props to them. Uh, they also just offered uh, Peach Jam winner Patrick Ngamba, who has been, for my money, the biggest stock riser uh, among guys who really – uh, not it, from a blue blood standpoint, really not one of those types of guys early on in, in, in the EYBL season and just really kind of continued to tr- trek forward and, and upward uh, and, you know, led his team to a Peach Jam championship. So uh, he, he's definitely a new, new name to keep an eye on. He uh, uh, announced today a new final eight in, in Kentucky's right there in, in that one. So that's definitely uh, one to keep an eye on. But again, the conversations about 2025 and that talent. And, and if you could steal some of those uh, types of guys, Cooper Flag. I want to. I, I know there's a lot of talk about Duke, and uh, if not Duke, potentially the pro route being a very serious option for him. But uh, Cooper Flag was a guy who clearly doesn't need another year of of, of high school basketball. He just doesn't. Uh, but him battling against the Boozer twins, but specifically Cam Boozer. Uh, talk about those matchups and, and seeing those two against each other, those two individually, uh, and. Kentucky's trying for both. We'll talk in a minute about their chances with the Boozers, but uh, what what could their potential impact be in a place like Kentucky? Uh, it, it'd be significant. I mean, you get if you could get the Boozer Twins, you get two for one there with, with those guys, and uh, ended up you know winning Peach Jam at the at their level of play. So I mean, two winners, two guys that are extremely talented, and those matchups against Cooper and stuff, those were a lot of fun. I know that was one that was on you know TV. Uh, over the weekend and stuff where, where guys could could see it and stream it and things and, and get to see those guys in action. But I think everyone thought, Jack, that the Boozer Twins were just automatically a lot to Duke. I, th- I think even us in media and anyone involved with college basketball, uh, I'm close friends with a Duke fan. I have been for my entire life, and he thought it too, that, that Duke would be a, a certain lock. But the more that things come out, I, I don't think that that's the case. And I know that that's something that you put out over the weekend too, that that's not certainly a done deal that the kind of the the commitment to Duke was more with Coach K, the loyalty there than it was with John Shire and where the program is now. Uh, Kentucky sounds like they certainly have a chance 
at those two guys. And uh, if you if you get those two, that's that'd be a great start for a, a recruiting class and, and really two solid pieces to build around. And would be I don't know if you could call it an upset like when it comes to down to it, but if you're able to get a, a legendary player like Carlos Boozer's twin sons at Kentucky, a rival blue blood school, it would probably be a pretty big recruiting upset because when you when you think of guys like that, you instantly connect onto the program that they played for. Uh, same thing like a Reed Shepard at Kentucky. Like it would have been crazy to watch Reed Shepard suit up and play somewhere else other than the place where his, his mom and dad played. That I know that that's that's a completely different you know thing being an in-state kid. But uh, mm-hmm. if, if Kentucky were able to get those two, it would be a significant win and a step in the right direction for that recruiting class in itself. But and then Cooper flag too. I mean, he is it professional route? Is it college route? I know Duke was sitting courtside, you know, with Jay and John Shire there and multiple assistant coaches. And I know that they're going all in for that one and and things that, that that's one that's kind of hard to follow and, and kind of see where it's at at the moment. But that's a guy that would succeed right now in college basketball if he were to suit up and play. That's how talented he is. And that kind of makes it appealing to see exactly what he does. Does he choose to go like uh, a G league route? Does he go as an overseas route? Like, or is it college? Like it would be good for the collegiate game. If these guys were to play college basketball together, that's the thing, whether they go to Duke, Kentucky, Carolina, it would be a good thing for the collegiate game to see those talented players play a season of college basketball before pursuing a professional career. But look, Kentucky's going to be right there and uh, trying to go, you know, blow for blow. For, for these talented pieces. And there's a lot of talented guys coming up after 24 when you get into 25 and 26. I mean, it's loaded. And, and I want to make it clear because I, I put it out there that that the Boozers are considering Kentucky, and I do think that they're going to get a visit to uh, – Kentucky is going to get a visit from them. Um, there was I, – I talking to Kentucky back in January, they specifically said – I mean, we might kick the tires on that, but we know it's a lost cause. We're not going to go. We're not going to get the boozers. So uh, it, it, it doesn't make any sense for us to waste our time. So there was an understanding of the they're a lock to they're a lock to Duke conversation that uh, was very apparent and clear. Since then, however, uh, they have decided to ramp things up, and for one reason or another, believe that they uh, are right there in the thick of things and. And I, I do think that that's something to keep a very close eye on. And um, yes, as you said, Sean, the, the what I've heard, and this did not come from Kentucky. This came from you know national agent side of things and other uh, schools that are trying to get in the mix and people associated with the the Night Riders AAU program and in a, a bunch of different areas that say their excitement level when they got this Kentucky offer, Sean, was night and day difference from when when Duke offered that dad's loyalty was to coach K that's where the, the relationship lied. And, and, and now that, you know, John Shire came 10 years after Carlos Boozer came, it's not like he has this, you know, close relationship with him. It, it was directly a, a, a relationship with, with coach K. Now me saying that Kentucky is in a sneaky strong spot for the boozers and that they are competing for, uh, the the boozers does not mean that it's a lock to Kentucky and they hate Duke and they hate John Shire. Like that's not the case. And there is still a very ob- obvious chance that they end up at Duke. That's not what, what I'm saying, but there were way too many people that know this recruitment infinitely more than I do making it very clear that these kids are not 
a lot, you know, they're not talking behind the scenes about Duke. They're not a, a secret pledge to Duke. They're not like, there's not this excitement about, about the Duke program that you would expect for Duke locks. They love John Calipari. They love the Kentucky program. They like the idea of kind of forging their own path and kind of doing their own thing. That's something new and fresh. And, and they, they are intrigued with that idea there is a very real chance that they end up at Duke, but there's also a, a chance that they do their own thing and end up at Kentucky. And that's why it's worth noting to, to put it, put that out there. When John Calipari is courtside with uh, Orlando Antigua and Chin Coleman and, you know, other representatives that are, that matter in this world, that they're not wasting their time. They're, they're sitting there for a reason when they did not do the same back in January. Like there, there's a reason why they're sitting courtside. It's because they have received the same intel, intel that I had that uh, these kids are, are open to listening, uh, open to listening. And really that's all that matters. If they think they got a shot, then we'll see what happens. Yeah. I mean, you're, if you feel like they're like, like you said, them sitting there tells you that there there's something there that makes them think, okay, it's worth sitting here and watching and, and showing face and, and actively recruiting and trying to get a visit. And if they get a visit, I think that's a win in itself is that you can at least get them on your campus and, and show them your program and see where things go. And, and you got a guy like Cooper, let's say that he ends up at Duke and he's in that class. Like then it forces other guys to kind of look and say, okay, do I, do I, is there a spot for me to go play there? I mean, that's a guy that's going to receive a lot of attention, get the ball in his hands a lot. Like that maybe forces some shakeup and stuff in recruiting class. And another thing with 24, and I know the names there on the, side of the screen with Jasper Johnson. Like, is that, does that end up being a a reclass candidate for Kentucky in 24 who looked really impressive at Peach Jam and and, and done some things? Well, an in-state guy that just left the state to to go play at Link Academy. Like that's, that's another name uh, to watch and see how Kentucky tries to get creative with putting its 24 class together. I think the 2024 makeup of recruiting will look significantly different than what Kentucky just did. Took a lot of freshmen. I don't think you're going to see as many freshmen on the roster a year from now. I think you're going to see some portal pieces added. You're going to see some returning pieces, but you will still have some freshmen. There'll be some reclassifications. Uh, what happens with Sompto? I don't know. Like, does he stick in 24? Does he end up making it to this roster? Like, I don't think you can close the book on any of those things yet until we probably get midway through the year and see, or at least get to August. I think getting to August is probably the first thing with him and then seeing where it goes from there. Uh, Kentucky fans will actually get a look at him pretty soon too, and get a chance to watch him play. Yeah, that, that that's going to be really cool. But before we move on to Global Jam and you know what, why we're here in the first place, uh, AJ Debonza, that that's a name, and I guess we'll tie that in with Tyron Stokes. Um, I heard from numerous places that Tyron Stokes is somebody that uh, grew up in Louisville, likes the Kentucky program a lot, Kentucky is in love with this kid and, and just believe that he's a college ready player right now. And, and that's definitely a name to keep an eye on. Uh, he's in the class of 2026. AJ Devonsa uh, is a 2026 prospect who uh, every tie to Terrence Clark, you could imagine idolized him, uh, considered him a, a cousin uh, growing up and, and living in the, in the Boston area place for the same expressions, elite program that Terrence played for. And, um, I, I talked to him extensively up, up at or down at Peach Jam about just the relationship, and uh, it's the same people running that recruitment that Terrence Clark did. That there are a lot of ties. It's not a done deal. I mean, this is again up there with Cooper Flag as a, as a generational talent, one of the best in, in the world right now. Um, that's a kid that Kentucky knows the connections, and they're going to try to take advantage of that. Um, 
now could they're playing together at prolific practice up, upcoming season Tyron Stokes and, and AJ DeMonte together is there a chance they could both reclass up to 2025 physically they're able to I've been told that AJ is on the right track academically and could make that happen I've been told that there are a couple uh hiccups to get through for uh Tyron Stokes to make that a possibility that it's it's not completely ruled out but it would take a lot of work in short time to make that happen because he is behind right now so uh, it's just one of those deals that I think Kentucky is in a very solid spot with both of them. And it's an amazing thing because they're top three in their class, regardless of when they play college basketball. Uh, but it may be a 2025 thing for AJ DeBonsa and 2026 thing for Ty- Tyron Stokes, Sean. But uh, I do like Kentucky's chances for both of them. And the cool thing would be those two being together. It gives Kentucky an opportunity to recruit them together. You get you get looks together. You get I mean, it just that's something that you can pitch. And those are two talented guys that we watched go up against one another. And it would be really cool to see them play uh, together at Kentucky and in college basketball. But the guy that you mentioned there, AJ Debonsa, that that of all the guys that you wanted me to watch at Peach Jam, that was the guy that you were like, you have to see this kid play. And you said it multiple times. And when I finally got to you, were texting me midway through the first half. You're like, so. What do you think? Like, that's how good this kid is. Like, he's he's legit. Like, he's so much fun to watch. Uh, does a lot of things well on the basketball floor. And an- another one of those guys that just uh, you can throw the word generational out there. And uh, you, you saw the picture of him and LeBron kind of surface over the weekend. And, and LeBron sitting there courtside, you know, for that matchup. And uh, really cool to see just how talented he is, even though he's young. Like, man, he is uh, so much fun to watch. And if uh, he were able to put on a Kentucky basketball jersey here in a year or two, like, goodness gracious, you talk about a guy that, that fans would love to see. Like, that that's an elite talent that projects to be possible superstar level as a professional. Like, he has the makeup and, and the build to, to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's let's move on. I know there, there are fans that are uh, very, very much on the, the edge of their seat trying to just get excited for uh, Kentucky basketball. And, and, and we get games starting literally at, at 1.30 tomorrow. Uh, Sean, the Global Jam starts. Kentucky set to take on Team Germany. Um, very interesting matchup. I don't know, recognize any of the individual names, but we're starting to get some – some buzz and some scoop and some uh, conversations about what this team's going to look like, uh, what their offensive identity is going to be, and, and uh, you know, kind of reasons to be excited about this group. And you're well aware of some of those rumblings and, and kind of you know your own behind the scenes look at, at what this team is. And uh, Shauna, I'm, I'm excited for you to kind of use this platform to uh, share what you know and why you might be more excited today and in the recent days than maybe a week ago or a month ago, even about this team. Yeah. If you listen to us on KSR last Thursday, we, we talked a lot about offensively, some things that you could see Kentucky do. And, and I've had a lot of people say, can you, can you really tell those things just from watching highlights on Twitter that are posted? Yeah. You can see some things. If, if you know how certain offenses work and certain looks and things that Kentucky have done in the past or other programs have done in the past, then you can pick up on those things when you're watching highlights just on Twitter, just from the spacing and, and a lot of stuff that you see on Twitter has been Kentucky going four on four, and it's been a lot of their dribble drive set minus the big, uh, minus the dunker spot with uh, the two corners, two slots. I, I, you're going to see some Kentucky run some five out looks uh, just from things that we've been hearing about some of these practices. And John Calipari put out a tweet, was it 
Sunday that he put out the tweet and said there's going to be a randomness to how we play. And that mm-hmm. randomness, Jack, is they're going to get out and run. They're going to get out and go. They're going to put it on the floor and play in space. They're going to take threes. They're going to shoot the ball. It's going to be an up-tempo style of play. That's what he means by randomness, uh, a randomness to their game. And playing random, I think, is going to be uh, – a for this team, as, as early on as it is, it's going to take some of the pressure off of maybe having to execute sets because we know that they don't have a ton of stuff in. There's no way – there's layers to the things that they're trying to do, and right now they got a lot of basic foundations and principles offensively. But you're going to see guys putting the ball on the floor, getting a ball by a defender's hip, beating a man off the bounce – taking open threes, and you're going to see Kentucky play in space more than they've played in the last couple of years. I don't think you're going to see a lot of post-ups. You're going to see open lanes and guys driving, kicking out to shooters, pitching, getting downhill, looking to score early and attack and transition. I think you're going to see Kentucky ahead of the game offensively, but a little bit behind the game defensively, which could cost them some of these games. But it's going to make for an exciting week of basketball, and, and I think you're going to you're going to come out of this now. If they go in tomorrow and they post up first possession, and there's two bigs in the lane, I'm probably going to lose my mind because everybody's going to think I've <laughs> just completely just lost it and have no idea what I'm talking about. But I can assure you, you're going to see a different look offensively and just the makeup of this team, the way they can do things. It, it's going to be exciting, and I can't wait till we actually have some video of it, and then everybody else can then see what I'm talking about. And then I can actually point to, okay, this is what I meant on KSR a week ago. This is what I meant by some get action. This is what I meant by maybe some zoom, some stuff that Kentucky's going to do. And they'll have some quick hitters built in. I think most of them will be for Justin Edwards. I think that's going to be probably the toughest assignment for any of these teams in Canada to have to match up with because he he's a guy Jack that he can get downhill and transition. He can knock down open shots he can finish with either hand near the rim. He, he He's not like – athletically, he's not going to be a guy that's just going to climb on you and dunk on you every single trip. He has the ability to do that. But from what he could be in July to what he could be in March, I think there, you could see his game be polished more offensively. And to me, he has probably the highest offensive ceiling of anyone on this team. Yeah, and I think a big part of that is when – Cal talks about randomness and, and, you know, we know that they're running four, four out, five out. And you know that Justin Edwards is, you know, one of those small ball four options. And the way he has that true one through four ability is like as a grab and go guy that he's going to grab a rebound and initiate the offense and, and, and the, the flexibility and, again, the randomness that creates. Because, you know, that creates a sense of panic for the defense, whether it's like, Okay, now you have a six-eight versatile long forward that is supposed to be, you know, on the block posting up or at, you know at, 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 the, at the corner as the, as the four, and you have him initiating initiating the offense and letting everything else run around, you know, elsewhere. Like it, it creates a sense uh, of of panic and chaos and randomness that that plays to Kentucky's advantage. Where uh, I remember there was a quote that Marcus Smart, uh, I'm a Celtics fan, and, and Joe Missoula like prides himself on uh, on random basketball and Marcus Smart said yeah that plays to our advantage because we know exactly what's going on we like we have a rhyme and reason for everything that we do but everybody else that watches us play thinks that we have no idea in in hell what we're doing and and like they're focusing on on themselves trying to like pick up the pieces and go okay wait what's going on here uh, that they don't even know how to adjust to us and and game plan and scheme toward us so th- there is a this go it brings me back to 
the Kansas State staff and what they said after the game, uh, after the, the tournament win, how Kentucky just didn't have the dudes. You can't run a random, you, like you, you can't run a, a four or five out random offense if you don't have dudes because that relies on guys going to get their own, uh, creating their own shot, beating you off the dribble, and and kind of creating that that hectic chaos and, and and establishing that. You don't have that unless you have dudes, and the the reason why I think Cal is so confident in saying, "Play, go go play." I think is because he's that confident in this group and I'm growing more and more confident learning what we're learning. And I think as we see this week, especially the, the, the backcourt continue to hear good things about Rob Dillingham and his adjustment and how he's really kind of taken out the bad habits that he had before developed at OTE kind of had to do in that camp style kind of setting uh, that he's kind of buying into the structure and the team aspect of that and kind of bringing out the best traits of him as a, a pure bucket getter dynamic score and creator while also playing off of what DJ does best as a downhill attacker and finisher around the rim and getting paint touches while also playing complimentary basketball to Antonio Reeves and complimentary, complimentary basketball to Justin Edwards. There's a lot to be excited about with this group. Uh, and I, I think when Cal says it's going to be random basketball, I think we should be listening very closely. It's not a random word. Let's put it that way. It's, you know, randomness means what it means, but it's intentionally in a tweet. There's meaning behind the word random, and you'll see that over the next few days. And does that translate to wins? I have no idea. I have no idea how Kentucky's going to defend. I have no idea how these guys are these young guys are going to react when the lights are on them and they're on TV and they're they're depend upon to make shots. What rotations are going to look like? What does Kentucky do at the four or five? I I have no idea. I don't know who's going to be on the floor when it comes down to crunch time and close games because I think these games are going to be close and Kentucky's going to be in situational basketball, and that's what you want. You want situational basketball in July in this opportunity. Kentucky didn't get situational basketball in the Bahamas a year ago. To me, honestly, they got absolutely nothing out of that trip other than just coming together and going swimming and maybe getting up and down the floor and doing some things. You're going to we get saw, and we saw where what that got for them because chemistry yeah. was literally the name of the game all season long. So it's like you 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 really didn't even get anything with right. that. But that's a trip where you kind of piece together who you play. That's not the case here. You know, you're competing for a gold medal. You're going up against guys that are older that have some experience on your guys. And you're kind of just being thrown out there and you've got a couple of practices under your belt and you're going to play, and by playing random, you're going to see Kentucky making reads. You're you're not – like in transition, the one thing as a coach you, you don't do is you, you don't – like when you're coming down, you got your secondary break, you got your primary break, you got your things you do, but you're playing random in transition. You're making reads. You're getting to the basket. You're, you're making a read. If, if your defender's turned his head, you make a back cut, things like that. You're going to see Kentucky getting some things offensively out of transition that is random. Then you're going to see Kentucky initiating the dribble drive and getting it started out different ways. Traditionally, that would be the slot to slot where they would drive and pitch and get downhill or they would drive to the to the corner and pitch it and loop and, and things like that. You're going to see some ball screen to initiate this offense. That's something that has moved into dribble drive in recent years. It'll be a, a ball screen with Ugo coming to get it. And then Kentucky goes straight into dribble drive motion. Like that's going to be some ways that you're going to see Kentucky initiate this offense and get it started. Uh, you're, you're seeing some get action with Ugo coming there. 
That means we're throwing it to the big, and the guard is immediately following it and getting the ball back off of that handoff and then right into something else. Does Kentucky get into its dribble drive doing some things like that? That's the stuff that's not random. The random is the up and down, which is probably 75% of this game is in transition. You're either flowing from offense to defense after missed shot, after made shot. Like that's the randomness to basketball, and that's where the great teams succeed. And I think you're going to see Kentucky do do a lot of that. It's going to be exciting. It's going to be an up-tempo style of play. I'm interested to see what Kentucky does defensively, and like they're, they're, we know they're <laughs> going to play some man-to-man. But have they, you know, are these guards really that good? Because if they are, then you're getting plenty of practice defending them in practice every single day. And I think, too, that John Welch is going to – is probably fundamentally done some things. And, and, like, we raved about the addition to him, to the staff, a week ago. And then since then, they, they've added, you know, Chuck Martin to the staff officially, which we'll get into. But with Welch, having a guy like that that you can say player development, offensive mastermind, those are his things that he's going to make impacts with with this roster. Fundamentally, he's able to maybe do things that can add to stuff that maybe Cal just doesn't have the time and these other guys who are recruiting or are busy doing other things that they can't do. I think you're going to see a more fundamentally sound Kentucky in the dribble drive than maybe what we saw four, five, six years ago when it was a primary part of what they did offensively. The guys eat up space and take some of that gap away and receive passes sooner to get downhill sooner. You're going to see some creative stuff from Kentucky and, uh, I think it's going to be enough to get people excited about what it can be when there's 30, 40 practices under their belt instead of just maybe four, five, six. That's the, the It's going to be a small sample size, but enough excitement that do not get caught up in the wins and losses. Pay more attention to what is going on on the floor because I think it's going to look more exciting and better than what it did five months ago. Yeah, I completely agree. I want to ask you, uh, Sean, about lineups and, and what your expectations are. How creative do you think Kyle is going to get, um, knowing what we know about you know the, the kind of offensive philosophy that we're going to be working with? Uh, how do you think that's going to play into, uh, do you think we are going to see a lot of uh, Justin Edwards, Trey Mitchell front courts? How much do you think uh, – I feel like the one X factor here with all this is Ugo and, and just kind of – if, if you're going all in on versatility and shooting at every position and, and you know, maximizing spacing and, uh, and, and shot making and playmaking, I feel like Ugo is the odd man out in, in that regard. But there's still a role for him on this roster. He's going to, and it's going to be a big one. Like, I, I, I'm, I'm interested to see. and just seeing what the heck they can be and just how random and hectic things can get. Uh, or do you think we're going to see, you know, God forbid we get double big lineups. I'd really prefer not to do that. But uh, how creative and tricky do you think Cal's going to get with the lineups? Well, when, when you look at it, there's really not an option to go double big just with what they have on this roster. There, there's probably a greater opportunity to go no big with with what they have and I think game one is going to be kind of a fill it out game where you're going to see a lot of different guys get a lot of different minutes and a lot of different looks but I think Cal's going to take that game film and and maybe not into Thursday I think the biggest transition is going to be from Thursday to Saturday where they've got two games of film two game and then you're talking you know 
how is it 40 minutes? Is that the is that the makeup of the game that they're playing? I think so when it comes to believe so, yeah. Borderlands. So then you're gonna have 80 minutes of basketball under your belt, and then you will see, I think, Cal settle in on whatever rotation has been the best in those two games. You're gonna say, okay, this lineup did this together X amount of minutes, or this lineup looked like this. We probably shouldn't go to this anymore. A lot of it too will depend on the game scout and who the opponent is and, and what the matchups are there. For Ugo, I think it's simple. I do think that Ugo will be behind on what Kentucky's doing offensively, which is from a skill set standpoint. But if he can do a couple of things well, then he fits it and he'll be able to play. Can he block shots on the defensive end, which then allows these guys on the perimeter at Kentucky to get out and run? That is an instant game changer that Kentucky has not had the last couple of years. A guy that can erase it, keep it in play, and that's a transition starter if you can block a shot. I don't care how you struggle offensively at times. If you can give Kentucky offense on the other end of the floor by starting transition, he'll play. Block shots and rim run and dunk balls. If he does those three things well in Canada, it's going to change how I feel about Ugo in the makeup of this roster. If he struggles in those areas, then I start to think that, okay, now – what do we transition into between now and October? But that's why you're doing this trip. Whoever struggles in what area, then you have film on it. You say, okay, you got four or five months. This is what you have to get better at if you want to play on this team. But I think it's going to influence the, the, a little bit about what Kentucky does offensively and, and some looks. But I think you're going to see Trey Mitchell run some five. And look, if he is a five-man spotted up with his feet set, he's knocking it down. I've watched a ton of film on him over the weekend. He doesn't miss often when his feet are set. His shot, it's it's pure. He also has the ability. He, he gets some assists too, Jack. Like he he makes some plays for others. Like I, I think that that's a guy that he likes the mid range jumper. You are going to see some mid range jumpers, but I think the thing that's going to be eliminated offensively is the long twos, the seventeen footers, the eighteen footers. Those are not going to be a part of Kentucky's shot chart. You will see some ten to twelve, thirteen foot shots. You'll see some threes. You'll see some plays at the rim. That That's a more balanced shot chart that I'm hoping to see. But I'm interested to see where Aduthiero fits. Does he get a lot of looks at guard? Is it mainly three, four? Starting lineup projections, though, I'm going to give you mine, then maybe you give me yours. For game one, I think you're going to see DJ Wagner, Antonio Reeves, Justin Edwards, Aduthiero, and Ugo. That's your five for game one. You won't see Trey Mitchell. Oh, but game two will be significantly different. I think you're going to see a different starting lineup the first couple of games. But that to me is game one. You start Reeves, who's been in your program, Adu and Ugo. I think you reward them being in your program. And then you go with DJ and you go with Justin. But I think that that lineup looks significantly different if Kentucky gets that gold medal, bronze medal game on Sunday. Yeah, that I. I the loyalty is there, and, and remember, every game in the Bahamas, Cal went out of his way to put together random starting lineups. It was a different lineup every game. So I feel like we'll learn more like who's starting in the second half or who's maybe closing the game more so than who's actually starting because I do think that there's going to be something to be said about Cal just kind of throwing stuff against the wall and just seeing what the heck happens. Um, but – Man, I am I am so intrigued with the idea of that four-guard lineup. Just seeing what the heck you have with that Rob Dillingham at the one. I, I really want to see him kind of take control and let him rock out a little bit. Like, I want to see him at his moat. Like, if, if you're going to be random, 
there is no more random human being on planet Earth than Rob Dillingham in terms of, of a basketball player. Like that is the, he's the epitome of random. So if you're going to do that, I feel like you got to embrace it. So I, I'm going Rob at the one, DJ at the two, Antonio Reeves at the three, Justin Edwards at the four, and Trey Mitchell at the five. At least one of the games. Give it to me at least one of the games while we're up here because I, I think that's going to be the lineup that gives you everything you're looking for in an offensively di- modern offense that fans have been craving. I think that's going to be the five-man group that that kind of sets the tone of what this team can be offensively and kind of raises the the bar expectation-wise of what it can be. It's true positionless basketball. It does not matter with that lineup. you got multiple guys that can get you initiated in, into your offense. you got multiple guys that, uh, you know, can, can shoot the ball and take it off the bounce and, and do some stuff. Um, I'm just – can that lineup rebound, I think, would be the biggest question. You know, can they defend their positions? If it, it gives you an option there. To, I think Kentucky's going to be able to switch. Like, John Calipari's best teams defensively, they've had two things. They've had the elite rim protector on the back end, which means then your guards – and that's the thing that was missing the last couple of years. Kentucky would, would get up and pressure the basketball, and Kentucky was not good at guarding the basketball. Like, that defensive breakdowns late in the year, guarding the basketball hurt Kentucky the last two years in the NCAA tournament and in the SEC tournament. If you can't contain the basketball, you better have an eraser on the back end. If you have that guy that can do that, Jack, then it gives – the other four guys on your team, it gives them a boost of confidence to pressure the basketball, and it's actually okay if you do get beat because then you're funneling it into your your big and your rim protector. You almost want them to take the shot. Can Ugo be that guy? If he is that guy, I think we have a completely different conversation about what Kentucky does at a starting lineup in November. If he becomes that guy, he plays because Cal said what? Mm-hmm. My best teams block shots. Block shots, yep. And, and that kind of gives it away. But to me, the lineup that you just threw out is true positionless basketball on the offensive end of the floor, but it's also the same on the defensive end. You, you point switch a lot of stuff. And those were some of Kentucky's best teams. Shot blocking and the ability to switch one through five. Or at least a guy like Justin Edwards, to me, I know he, he, has, he had a knack for getting some steals and putting himself in situations to get fast break opportunities in high school. That needs to now be a lockdown defender with his frame and his length. I think that's an area where you could see him really take his game to the next level, Jack. And if he does that, then I think he solidifies himself as one of the better players for sure in that draft a year from now. If he becomes a complete, total player all around, a great on-ball defender, a guy that gets in passing lanes but can also do it at three levels on the other end offensively. Look, this is exciting. I love that we're talking about this in July. Like, this is so much better than Kentucky's got seven scholarship players or are they even going to get the eight and nine. Like, look, it's exciting that we're here. I think you see excitement in the comments of this show today. And Source of Say is going to be right here taking you through this entire trip. And we're going to have a blast. Whether Kentucky goes 4-0, 1-3, and 2-2, whatever it is, like, I'm choosing bigger picture here. If Kentucky loses tomorrow, there's not going to be a ton of negativity from me because I'm pulling apart the positives of what I see from this trip because I don't think you get caught up in the negatives here. There are no negatives to playing basketball in July. That's my th- message to every single person watching these games tomorrow. There are no negatives to what happens tomorrow on that floor. It's only positives. It does not matter. What matters is these guys are getting a taste of it. They're getting their feet wet. They're excited to play. And Kentucky basketball is on your TV screen in July. You haven't said that before. That's exciting. Oh, 
I, I sure do love it. And, and we, we uh, before we kind of start wrapping things up, uh, you, you brought up, um, you know, kind of just throwing Ugo in and just seeing what, like, th- this is a, a win-win situation for him no matter what. If he goes in and struggles as I'll get out and he's not that, you know, dyna- dy- last year he was – very, very strong as a as a as a help side shot blocker and a dynamic rim running threat who capable of catching lobs and, and throwing it down, but really limited elsewhere. Not great in, in you know face guarding situations. Really not great at anything outside of two feet offensively. Uh, so if he hasn't taken that jump that I think Kentucky really does need, uh, it, it it at least puts Cal in position to say, okay, step one. This there's a clear blueprint, Ugo, of what you need to do. Look at the way you played against grown men. These are going to be the type of talents that you play in the SEC this upcoming year. This is what you have to work on. It's going to be clear as day. You're going to have all the film in the world to work on. Like it, it, This is going to be a, a perfect opportunity in that front. Uh, step two, if it's too much and it's very abundantly clear that you need something else, you need more help, you also have the – a Santo Cyril as you're kind of in your back pocket. If he was close enough to walk in May, he's clearly close enough to be able to, to graduate and get on campus at some point. January at the absolute latest to, to contribute for this team. That'll give you, you know, Aaron Bradshaw some time to get his feet wet and maybe even give Ugo some more time to get, you know, whatever the case is, you know, you have that in your back pocket if necessary. And if things go really, really south, then you also have the August, you know, transfer portal deadline with grad transfers, Cal Broth, that mentioned that by name. And again, I even heard more uh, talk about like in case things get crazy in August, we'll see what happens. Type talk uh, the, the, in this past week, so uh, I don't think that's something they're completely ruling out quite yet. And, and I think that, that that's why this week is so crucial to just see what this team is. If you got to make a move, there's still a little tiny window to make a move. And I think that's something that Cal has in, in, in his back pocket. And I think that's why he's so excited uh, about just what this team can be and, and um, this opportunity more than anything. It's the perfect time to uh, just kind of throw stuff out there, see, see what's working, see what's not working, see what's never going to work and adjust on the fly from there. And I, th- I think that's going to open up the door for some, some creativity, maybe with roster moves or with, you know, lineups or, or whatever is necessary from there. Uh, I, I think this is the perfect timing more than anything. Playing games July 12th through July 16th. Um, it's not at the end of August where you have no, like that. that is your team from there moving forward. Like this, this gives you at least some type of flexibility in your back pocket to um, make a change if necessary. Yeah, this is an evaluation period, too, for Kentucky to evaluate its roster and then see if it needs to be active when some of those grad transfers do hit the portal there in August. And on top of that, you know, there's some comments about is Cal going to coach? I fully expect John Calipari to coach every game on this trip, and he said it now that they're wearing Team USA on their chest. I think it's different than just going to the Bahamas and, and playing some meaningless games just to, to see where you're at. But I, I think that being Team USA, I think in competing for a gold medal and, and, and gold there, I think you're you're going at it with a different approach representing the United States. I, I think that that probably brings out the best in Cal and is, you know, as, as young as this team is and, and stuff, I think it's important for him to get out there and uh, get acclimated to them and, and them get used to him as well. But the, the thing you saw them put out on Twitter yesterday, you know, Cal – had a, a grin on his face and there's energy and excitement. I hope that he stays that way throughout this entire trip. 
don't get screaming cow. Don't get overanimated cow. Like I want cow coaching hard, but I want a, a positive, a positive approach to it because like I said, you got to see the big picture here. Is it going to be frustrating if Rob Dillingham goes in the game tomorrow and he, he takes a couple <laughs> of four shots? Yes. And there's probably going to be the Twitter feed screaming, get him out of the game and can cow will get him out of the game. But I, I think that finding positives, even when there's negatives is probably the, the motto this week that I'm, that I'm going to, I'm finding nothing but positives on tomorrow's episode or recapping. And then we'll kind of take it all at the end of the trip and say, okay, these were the negatives here. X, Y, Z is where Kentucky must get better. If it wants to be an NCAA tournament team, second weekend, final four, I will be able to tell you a little bit more about what I think Kentucky projects to be after Sunday, but Stay healthy on this trip. That's important. That's probably the one negative that you could get out of this trip is you you lose another guy, and you don't want to do that. Yeah, uh, uh, we'll, we'll see. I, I got a text that makes me think that we we may be going small tomorrow. So we'll 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 uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. We'll wrap up there. Um, we've got plenty of content to come throughout the week. Plenty of we're going to do a show every single day, breaking down post game previews, all that good stuff. We're going to be live from Toronto. Uh, you do not want to miss the coverage. Sean Smith, before we get out of here, the Source State Podcast is also brought to you by Andy Ludicky and MyPerfectFranchise.net. Are you ready to leave the corporate rat race for the American dream, looking for a side hustle while working your current job, wanting to diversify, build wealth, and or leave a legacy? Andy can help. Andy is a franchise consultant as well as franchise owner and helps people find franchises that fit their skill sets financial requirements, time to commit, and more. His services are 100% free, and he is here to help you. If you have any questions about business ownership, you can learn more and contact Andy anytime at www.myperfectfranchise.net. Sean Smith, where can fans find your work? You can find my work at gobigbluecountry.com, and you can follow me on Twitter at GBBCountry, and you can actually follow me on threads at that same uh, that handle. So uh, I guess threads is sticking around for a little bit, so we'll see how that works out. That that was a whole other mess in itself, getting down to Peach Jam and watching that absolute chaos uh, unfold in, in real time was just a absolutely a absolute insanity, but I, I'm here for it. You can find me on Twitter as well, at Jack Hogan KSR. Same uh, thread on threads, if that's what you're interested in, but find me on Twitter. On, uh, whatever email as well jay pilgrim at kentucky sports radio.com that will be back tomorrow from the jam pack sports to say podcast a post-game edition of the sort hopefully breaking down uh, a, a big win to start out one and zero up here in toronto for the 2023 global jam this has been the source to say podcast we will see you then 